This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. This week kicked off with a special birthday party for 14 centenarians who are residents of St. Hilda's Towers in Toronto. It was a pleasant event that proves reaching triple digits is becoming increasingly common. However, recent polls suggest that many people don't want to live for more than a century. What do these superagers have to say? I'll have that as well as what CARP members are thinking on the topic of longevity. Plus, do you know when it's okay to eat asparagus with your fingers? How about bacon? Do you even know the correct way to use your knife and fork? Charles McPherson tackles these quandaries in his book, The Butler Speaks. That's coming up, but first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's a victory for older employees. People who work into their 70s and even their 80s may be entitled to large damage awards if they're wrongfully dismissed. That's the nub of recent decisions by the Ontario Superior Court. The decisions mean that long-serving employees over 65 who are fired without cause can expect settlements of around two years' pay or even more. Employers can limit their liability in wrongful dismissal cases by having employees enter into employment contracts that clarify the rights and obligations of both parties beyond legislated minimum notice periods in the event of a dismissal. In unionized workplaces, these issues are typically covered in the collective agreement. Meanwhile, a lot more older employees are finding work. Bloomberg News reports that in the U.S., 7.2 million people aged 65 or older were employed last year. That's a 67% jump in the last decade and reflects the fact that staying in the workforce longer is becoming more common. Still with employment, would a shorter work week make you happier? Maybe not, according to a new study out of South Korea. That country changed its labor regulations in 2004, reducing the work week to five days and 40 hours from the previous six-day, 44-hour week. Using data from an annual survey of 5,000 households, researchers analyzed overall job satisfaction and overall satisfaction with life before and after the changes. The bottom line, for both sexes, the reduction in hours had no effect on either job or life satisfaction. And finally, this week we lost Seamus Heaney, Ireland's foremost poet. He won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1995 and the Lifetime Recognition Award from the Griffin Trust in 2012. The saint is kneeling, arms stretched out inside his cell, but the cell is narrow 
Heaney was widely considered Ireland's greatest poet since William Butler Yeats. Over a half-century career, he wrote 13 collections of poetry, two plays, four prose works on the process of poetry, and many other works. That includes his 1966 debut, Death of a Naturalist, The Spirit Level, and last year's District and Circle. Seamus Heaney was 74. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Would you like to live to 120? That question is now top of mind for longevity researchers in Canada and the U.S. Earlier this week, I met a couple of centenarians who are in amazingly good shape. Here's their take. You are going to be 105? Yeah. I don't like living this long. I'd sooner pass along earlier. Why? My husband died, and uh, I was very lonely, and uh, I miss him very, very much. So um, I don't feel that I have that much to live for. You're 102. Yes, but I think I'm terribly old, and I can go any minute, and I'm ready to go any minute. But as long as I'm here, I'm happy that I'm here. Would you like to live to 120? No. No way. (laughs) That is certainly the mainstream view. A new CARP poll found less than 10% of Zoomers want to live to 120. That's surprising given the huge gains in longevity in the last 100 years. I sat down with CARP's Vice President of Advocacy, Susan Eng, to look behind the numbers. You would think the promise of immortality would be something that we're all searching for. But when you ask level-headed Canadians already of a certain age whether or not they want 20, 40 more years to their lives, their answer is maybe not. And it's very interesting why. Uh, First of all, of course, they care about whether or not they're going to have good health. That was a main concern. Um, The other thing was they wanted to make sure that their spouse is going to live as long as they. You know, so many people of an age start worrying about having to say goodbye to all their family and friends. And so I think that if, if you're asking people to look at looking ahead from where they are now, 20 or 40 years, they might say no. So the question is better posed to somebody much younger who's looking at a much longer uh, perspective. We were at a birthday party for 14 centenarians just this week. And incredibly, the oldest one seemed to be in the best shape or almost the best shape. And she was completely lucid and she was very clear. She she wasn't that happy about continuing. The impression that I got is that even if they're doing well by every standard, you know, maybe it's not that much fun. (laughs) Well, I I think that we have to engage this conversation, especially when we talk about people not even having a good idea of what they want to do with their retirement, right? When you're offering another 20 to 30 years of of life, um, people, certainly in our polls, that they would just do what they're doing now. Um, We offer them the choice of maybe starting a new career, starting a new family even, (laughs) or moving to another country. And they said no. They said, you know, we carry on doing what we're doing. We might travel a bit more, spend a bit more time with our family. Seeing the grandkids grow up was was a high choice. But beyond that, there wasn't really this reimagining 
of what this added portion of your life was going to be. I don't know if the longevity profits, you know, are predicting, you know, 120 is the new 65 or something. I, I think really we have to move the question back up. We have to back up a lot and recognize that Uh, It's really not fair asking somebody who's gone through 60, 80 years under our current state of affairs, our current state of medical science, uh, even our current economy, and ask them, would you like 20 more years of this? I think you really do have to back up a bit and say, now, if you had 120 years to plan for, (laughs) what would you be doing and how would you govern your health? Uh, what kind of support systems would you want to have out there? What kind of opportunities and so on? And then I think we'd get a different answer. Yeah, and I mean, it was interesting to me also that most people worried about their health and concerns about money were way behind that. I mean, I would be really worried. How are you going to fund all that? And are you worried that you're taking it away from your children and your grandchildren? Mm. I think that uh, certainly in our sample, we have a lot of level-headed people who've prepared for themselves, and they've also uh, made choices. You know, they live within their means. They don't really look for somebody else to help them along. And I think that, you know, they're, they're higher concern was their physical health. And I think that's still top of mind. And they figure if they've got good health, they will manage the finances. And in fact, their concern was not only for their personal health and even finances, they really thought that society couldn't sustain extreme longevity. Every survey or study you look at talks about the importance of social connections. So I'm wondering, you know, Older people who've had very good social connections all their lives, what is it that they get to this stage and they feel unable to make new friends? For example, some people can't get to their church or community center on their own. They have to depend on a family or a friend or wheel trans or whatever. And so they say, oh, well, never mind, I'm not going. You know, it could be something as simple as that. There was a desired age, though, in this poll. Well, yes. Um, the, you know, the average age of our sample was about 70. They expected to live to about 88, which is more than the actuaries tell us where the average is. Um, but they wanted to live, on average, to 94. Not 120, but at least 14 years more than they were at right now, or 24 more years than they were at right now. So that's still positive. How do you interpret that? Well, I think that certainly there's a a lot of enthusiasm for their own lives. They feel comfortable in their own lives. They don't see a good reason to to try to extend it forever. They are comfortable. They don't really feel that extreme longevity is meaningful. But quality of life is really where they spend most of their energies. Okay. Susan Eng, Vice President of Advocacy for CARP, thanks so much. Thank you. I'll have much more on longevity and the secrets of these super centenarians on our new television show, The Zoomer. It launches on our sister station, Vision TV, on October 7th. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is The Zoomer Week in Review. Can you send a proper thank you note in an email? Should you eat bacon with your fingers? The answers are in Charles McPherson's book, The Butler Speaks. In just a moment, we'll learn proper etiquette from a professional. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. 
The popularity of shows like Downton Abbey has sparked a renewed interest in old-world elegance, etiquette, and the art of housekeeping. Charles McPherson dropped by our studios to talk about his guide to stylish entertaining and good manners, The Butler Speaks. There's a huge resurgence. You're absolutely right. The pendulum is going back, and it's now trying to find an equilibrium of, you know, where it was too stringent in the Victorian era and where it was too, you know, loose or non-existent in the 60s to where it's more today being more comfortable for people. Mm -hmm. So what are people looking for? I think people are really looking for how to socially interact with each other and what is acceptable. You know, our world is changing. We can't look at the past of etiquette rules. We need to look at what is current. We have cell phones. We have email. We have text. How do we communicate in today's world and what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable? In your book, for instance, uh, I, I was uh, quite fascinated with the chapter on how to eat particular <laughs> things, how exactly to use your cutlery. And it, it's amazing how many people really don't know. It's actually quite scary. And I think, you know, what What I love to, to point out to people is that this is actually so important that, you know, you may be a brilliant lawyer coming out of law school, but, you know, when you go and you apply for a job, they take you out for lunch because they want to know how do you conduct yourself at the table and are you going to embarrass them in front of a client? What are the most common things that people say don't know about how to eat? They don't understand how to deal with, with a, for example, fish with bones. You know, they don't know how to use correctly a fish fork and a fish knife in that scenario. Or, for example, should they pick it up with their fingers, crisp bacon or, you know, asparagus? When do you have it? You, and the answer is? <laughs> the, the answer is uh, that asparagus, if it has a sauce, you always use a fork and a knife. If there is no sauce, it is absolutely correct to pick it up with your fingers. Mm-hmm. And bacon? Bacon. If it's crisp, then you can pick it up with your fingers. If not, if you are able to cut it, then you should use a knife and a fork. The other thing I noticed, and I know that this gives some people trouble, is when you have a dessert fork and a dessert spoon. You're actually supposed to use the spoon and the fork is the pusher. So if you're having, whether it's pudding or cake or ice cream, you're using the spoon and the fork is pushing the food onto the spoon for you to eat with. I think that I've got that confused sometimes <laughs> myself where I use a spoon to push it on the fork. And, you know, I think that that's such a great thing because we actually all kind of make those mistakes. Another question I have about email. To me now, in this day and age, if you even if you remember right away and write a thank you note, it takes a while to get there by snail mail. Absolutely. So... I have decided that it's perfectly fine to send an email thank you note, but am I correct? <laughs> well, you know, here is an exa a perfect example of etiquette for the 21st century, and that is absolutely it is correct. But I think that, that the secret, it's not about just sending the email. It's how do you correctly write at the thank you note? Not only just saying thank you for the gift, but, you know, being sincere, how you, you know, enjoy it and looking forward to seeing the person again. So there, there really is a format to the note no matter how it is communicated. Moving right along to the domestic arts. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed. Now, you talk about how to fold sheets and how to store tablecloths and how to shine shoes. Do you actually do all those things yourself? I do. It's those tips and tricks that I want to be able to bring to people every day on how can you do those things yourself but efficiently because we still want to have a little bit of time to rest at the end of the day. People, I think, sometimes get a little bit stressed about their households. And I think the most important thing is just to relax it a little bit and enjoy it. And then you'll have an atmosphere that people really enjoy spending time with you in. Okay, that sounds good. Charles McPherson, thanks so much. Thank you. 
That interview first aired on May 12th of this year. The Butler Speaks, a return to proper etiquette, stylish entertaining, and the art of good housekeeping is published by Appetite by Random House. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. In just a moment, we'll return with a song written by a 96-year-old that has become a very touching viral hit. Stay with us. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts datebook tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, it's a story of friendship between legendary boxer Muhammad Ali and the actor and comedian Stepan Fitchett in the 1960s. Playwright Will Power says the character known as Stepan Fitchett was very different from the man. He was very complex and very different in a lot of ways from the character he, he portrayed. And also found that Muhammad Ali also was complex, you know, as much as, you know, he was one of my big heroes. He also has some complexities, some of his issues with women, um, some of his belief is in the nation of Islam. You know, he was a complex man as well. Directed by Canada's Des Mackinoff, Fetch Clay, Make Man is in previews at the New York Theater Workshop on East 4th Street. In the Windy City, see a retrospective of Japanese art of the 1960s. It was a time when Japanese artists meshed with the international interest in abstract art and Eastern cultures, catapulting them to the world stage. The exhibition is at the Art Institute of Chicago. And in Paris, it's the final weekend to take in the exhibition Rodin, Flesh, Marble. Fifty marble statues and a dozen models in clay and plaster are on display from the artist known by his contemporaries as the God of Stone. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Book. After she passed away, I was just sitting in the front room one evening by myself and just just come right to me almost and just kept humming and that singing and then that's how it come to write it just seemed like it just just fit her yeah. that's 96 year old fred stobow talking about his song oh sweet lorraine which he wrote in memory of his wife of 73 years after she passed away in april Fred entered the song in a competition held by Green Shoes Studio in Illinois. The studio asked for digital entries of recorded songs, but Fred, who actually had no musical experience, mailed in a handwritten entry of his lyrics. Unfortunately, the studio couldn't accept his entry, but they were so moved by his story and lyrics that they decided to record Fred's song and present it to him in honor of his late wife. The entire process was documented in a YouTube video titled A Letter from Fred, which has over 2 million views and definitely requires some tissues while watching. The song itself is now in iTunes' top 10 charts for both Canada and the U.S. Here it is, Fred Stobau's song to his wife, Lorraine, Oh Sweet Lorraine. Oh sweet Lorraine, I wish we could do times over again oh sweet Lorraine life only goes around once but never again oh sweet Lorraine I wish we could do all the good times over again the good times the good times 
the good times all over again. The good times, the good times, the good times all over again. But the memories always linger on. Oh, sweet Lorraine, no, I don't want to move on. Oh, the memories always linger on. Oh, sweet Lorraine, that's why I wrote this song. We could do all the good times over again, oh sweet Lorraine. Life only goes around once, but never again, oh sweet Lorraine. I wish we could do all the good times over again, the good times, the good times, all the good times, all over. That was Oh Sweet Lorraine, a song written by 96-year-old Fred Stobau in memory of his wife Lorraine. It was recorded and produced by Green Shoe Studio in Illinois, along with a YouTube documentary telling Fred's story. The video has gone viral with over 2 million hits. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Bandrill. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.